You ready, Johnny? Teeth and the tongue, tip of the lips. All right, I'm good. Okay, good. Roll the intro, Bartholomew! What's our seat number? Hello, and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the one show that will ask the really tough questions that no one else can bear to ask. Questions like, is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? No, but it's sterile and I like the taste. I'm Simon Gross, a 3D artist, game designer, Olympic chair faller offerer, and occasional shoehorn licker, and with me as always my co-host, who requires no introduction. Johnny Gross, of course, a filmmaker and the inescapable result of mixing two parts charisma, one part snark, a dash of saucy wordplay, and a pinch of buttock. <laughs> Thank you. What did you do last night, Johnny? Um, Good night? Uh, well... Haven't seen you in a while. It's been a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to tell you that um, I'm very happy that we're back doing this again after Me too. a couple of weeks. Me too. Yeah. It's been a little bit difficult. Yeah. Uh, you weren't well. I wasn't and then, well. Uh, and then your wife wasn't well. Yeah. And then my son wasn't well. Yeah. And then I wasn't well. Right. So now everyone's well again? I think so. Can we start podcasting, please? We may begin. Okay, so um, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to begin today's episode by telling you that we're going to do some very special things. It's not going to be like a usual episode because we haven't, we haven't got a movie that we're going to sort of do a pre-bit for and then sort of, you know, go watch it and then come back, right? So... What we did, but you want to say what we did? You tell, tell, tell the people, person, what we did. Well, that old that he doesn't remember what he did last night. <laughs> well, you see, um, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is a very interesting episode. Um, we're going to be talking about a movie that's been so hotly anticipated that our expectations were through the roof and yeah. that has never backfired before. Right. <coughs> Time to die. <coughs> Are you all right? You're getting sick again. Don't do uh, this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, well, basically, the movie that, we, uh, that we're talking about is the latest in a disturbingly increasing number of nostalgia-capitalizing, soft-rebooted sequel reimaginings that may or may not go out of style in the near future from sheer overexposure. And uh, I think the best thing to do is just to stop going to see them. Stop funding Hollywood's increasing unoriginality, capitalizing on our generation's desperate need to recapture our childhoods and experience even an iota of what it felt like to be young again in our current society of pandemics, social discourse, and fucking masks. Um, so uh, I think that's the only course of action. You should be a writer, but you still haven't answered my question about what oh, yeah. you did last night. Yeah, last night we went to see Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes, we bloody did. <laughs> okay, now... Before we begin today, okay, because what we do, right, we do a little cold open, a little, little pre-bit for you. It's just a little tickle, tickle the nipples a little, right? Oh, dear. Um, oh, dear. Uh, but, but I just wanted to say, if you haven't seen the movie, go see it. Don't listen to the podcast. Turn it off. Pause. Go, go see the film. Come back and then yeah. listen. It's yeah. really a shame if we, if we were to spoil these things for you. Yeah, here, here be spoilers. And, uh, spoilers and I, I be we wear. It, indeed. Okay, so today we're going to start the episode by playing the Mystery Envelope Game. Oh my goodness. 
Today we're going to play a game where there is a little mystery envelope right here on the table with the question mark hastily scribbled onto the front and not centered in the envelope at all. You would never know that I wasn't a 2D artist. Now, inside of said envelope is a prize of some sort. How do I get my grubby mitts on this finger-licking piece of delicious-looking paper, you ask? Well, you must run the gamut of questions that I have laid out in this Ghostbusters quiz. In order to win the prize, you must answer 145 out of 200 questions correctly. Let's begin. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I'm very excited. Okay. Now I'm I've hoping that over that. I've never done a game for me before. I haven't. So today it's my turn. Now, now I'm I'm wearing a suit and tie because I'm dressed as a as a strange quiz master. You're, you're more like a game show host. Exactly. That's who I am today. Now the first question is an easy one. This is uh, one that you're going to get. It's just to sort of slip you into it. This is the lubricant, as it were. <laughs> In the beginning of the film Ghostbusters, Peter is conducting his experiment. Who does Peter keep shocking? The male subject or the female subject? I'm gonna have to go with 50-50 on this one. I, I have absolutely The answer is the male subject. And a bonus question, what was the card that he actually answered correctly? It was the, uh, the three wavy lines and he says, couple of wavy lines. Sorry, this isn't your lucky day. Wonderful. Question two, say the next line. As a friend, I have to tell you, you've finally gone round the bend on this ghost business. You guys have been running your ass off meeting and greeting every schizo in the five boroughs who says he has a paranormal experience. What have you seen? Oh, fuck. This is when they're walking into the library, this right? This is when they're walking into the library. What have you seen? Oh, who, who says the next line? The is next Ray? line is Raymond Stance. Right, 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 right. And he says... Um... Something about a, a, a migration. Yeah. I'll give you half a point if that's all you can give me. No, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. This is going to yes, be... Yes, well, the listeners and I will wait while I eat a pastry and you think about it. <laughs> the Oh, fuck, I'm going to shoot myself after this. Oh. Normally people kick themselves, but I'm, I'm intense, so I'm going to shoot myself. I want people myself. to know that you don't answer questions, too. <laughs> There's something about... Do you know my... how much flack I got for the Mel Gibson one? Really? <laughs> By whom? Who do you think? Philippa. I mean, so much shit Philippa. about it. Yeah, I, I knew it was Mel Gibson. It's easy from the comfort of your own. Oh pajamas. yeah, 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 armchair. Yeah. Um, that is actually fantastic. This is not apple as we feared. I think this is actually cinnamon. What was the migration? Fuck. Okay, just tell me. Do you want me to give me. you the line? Yeah, yeah, just give it to me. Of course, you forget, Peter. I was present at an undersea unexplained mass sponge migration. Sponges. Damn it! I knew it was something like that. In Ghostbusters, don't worry, you still have 142 questions. No, I'm joking. There's only Only 10. got 75 more to go. I wanted to do that, but I forgot yeah. what he says. Of course. Um, now, question three. In Ghostbusters, the boys use what useful catalogue to answer their ghostly questions? Oh, the architect's name was Ivo Shandor. I read about him in Tobin's Spirit Guide. Absolutely correct. <laughs> it is the Tobin's Spirit Guide. At Lewis Tully's party, question four. Mm -hmm. At Lewis Tully's party, two guests arrive and he introduces them to everyone. What are their names? Oh no, that that is that is some next level shit. That is a hard one. No, no, you wait till the last question. That's the one that's gonna cook your oh, noodle. Oh fuck! <laughs> bake your noodle. What's really gonna bake your noodle later on is would you still have broken? We're not quizzing me, and we're not quizzing okay. me on the Matrix. You <laughs> sit there and you look embarrassed. I, I'm my face is going um, red. You're feeling hot. I'm, I'm feeling hot. <laughs> 
um, and and slightly aroused. Um, so, by the way, today's chewing is not sponsored by pre-masticators. Ooh. Yes, I'm because there's nobody else today. here. Yeah, I mean, you have to bring somebody in to chew your food for exactly. you. Indeed. Um, it's Wonderful product. Carol and something something like that, right? No. No. But to be fair, if I didn't have it down in front of me, I would also be blanking on this. Yeah, this is like... That, that's, Tell you? That's obscure. Ted and Annette. Oh, fuck. Because <laughs> actually it does ring a bell. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, name the amount of mortgages currently taken on by Ray as oh, of Ghostbusters. Fuck. Now, Now, hang on a minute. There is a line... That Venkman says to him that gives you a clue. I know, they're walking out of the bank. My parents left me that house. Yeah. Don't worry, Ray. <laughs> Was that not helpful? <laughs> no. <laughs> not in the slightest. Don't worry, Ray. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody at home got it. <laughs> of course they did. Of course they did. These are really obscure. This is like. Yeah. I would have had to have watched it again yesterday yeah. in order to get it. I know. But I didn't. I watched Ghostbusters no. Afterlife. Listen, Johnny. Yeah. To be fair to you, yeah. if it weren't these questions, it would be really easy ones. Right. Where'd you get these from? You make them up? Some of them. Okay. Some of them. <laughs> One or two. No. Half of them. Um, <laughs> I worked hard on this. Oh, Jesus. Um, I think you'll get the next one, though. You want me to okay. tell you this one? Okay, yeah. Three. Three mortgages, what are they? He says, my parents left me that house. Right. So, um, they've taken out another mortgage using his house as collateral for the firehouse. And uh, Venkman says to him, don't worry, Ray, everybody has three mortgages nowadays. Oh, Yeah, no, I wouldn't have remembered that. <laughs> um, at the beginning of Ghostbusters, there is graffiti written on Venkman's door. What does it say? Venkman burn in hell. Mm. Number seven. What floor of the hotel is Slimer found on? Twelve? Mm-hmm. And bonus. Cockroach. Name the hotel. Name the hotel. Is it the plaza? Mm-mm. The Ritz? No. <laughs> Manhattan no. flog and flu. No. I'll tell you what, it begins with an S. Savoy. And Seville. it ends with a K. And in the middle there are some letters. Swank. <laughs> it rhymes with Pledgenik. The Swesnik. The Sedgwick, Sedgwick Hotel. Sedgwick, I, I, again, yeah. Eight. Name these Egon's were James Bond, hobby. If these were James Bond questions, I would get all No, of them. I think also that I'll, and I've I've figured this out, right, from from watching this. Right. I knew from watching you do this. Mm-hmm. If you have the questions in front of you, yeah. it's very easy to be smug and superior. Right? Yeah, Whereas but... if you don't and you're sitting in the hot seat, things you know suddenly become incredibly difficult to know. No, but I, I know you know it's the Cedric. Of clues. You know it's the Cedric. No, I don't know it's You do. No, I don't. You must. No, I don't. I know it. I know it is. This is one that I know. Well then. Okay. okay. 20 points uh, to me Egon's then. hobby is collecting spores, molds, and fungus. Indeed it is. Number nine. In Ghostbusters 2, what book did Venkman go to pick up from Ray's store? Um, Magical Paths to... Yes. Riches. Something like that. To Fortune and... And yes. One more word. To fortune and begins with a P. Magical past to fortune and P. 
<laughs> what is Venkman looking for? Fortune and? Pleasure. Well, piss. Power. Power. Oh, fuck. Okay, yes. Yeah, I'm going to give you that one okay. because that Magical was... Uh, yeah. power. Number okay. 10. When Dana goes to the Ghostbusters for help in the first movie, and you're never getting this in a million years, Ray, Ray and Egon sit on a sofa and start eating. What is in the box? What is on the box? What's written on the box? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Cheese it. Okay. Okay, now listen. I'll give you the... It was... It was These a, were obscure. Okay, when I, do, when I do crazy casting with Ks, um, I'm giving you all the clues in the world. That's true. But I'm stupid and you're not. That's the <laughs> difference between us, right? You know this stuff. I, I'm not sure that I do. Like, I've seen Ghostbusters many, many times, but like... Um, but these are things of like... You know what's written on the box and stuff like yeah. that. You know. Well, listen. Credit like, I to could, you. I could it's give really you, hard. I could give you like bond car number plates. Yeah, yeah. But like, I'll tell you what. The hardest thing about doing these, and I think this is where you get the points here, is mm-hmm. choosing questions that no. you know are on the level of the person. I'm not very good at that. I just assume that you know everything in Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay. Right. So now that we've thoroughly. Embarrassed both of ourselves. Right. I'm going to give you the envelope anyway. Would you like to tell me what's written on on the inside of the envelope? <clears throat> Willy Wonka golden ticket. One free box of ergs. No, that's eggs. As in spelt a a a i i. I R R R dash G G and I think another G and then an S. Is it two G's or three? It's three G's. It's three G's, very good. Does that mean that you're gonna buy me a box of eggs? <clears throat> Today's episode is sponsored by Eggs, the new revolutionary product that is exploding onto the market. Tired of cracking eggs to find the shells are full of stuffs? Buy eggs! Eggshells with quality air inside them. Just heat up the pan, grease it with butter, and then throw it through the closed window because you can't cook air. Purchase one box of air eggs today and receive a free box of egg shorts for the man who wants to keep his eggs snug. Or woman. It's a testicle metaphor. Sign up for yours today. Over to you, Jonathan. I'm done. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> Thank you for that, Simon. <laughs> Very good. Um, I wanted to read this out because um, I saw this on Facebook just minutes before we uh, started recording. Minutes. This is uh, in one of the uh, podcast uh, groups that we're on on Facebook. And uh, this fellow, I'm not sure if I should say his name or not. I probably shouldn't. But it's, uh, it's, it's a funny name anyway. Can you make something rhyme with it? I'll just, I'll just say the name. It's Thunder Negro. Interesting. I don't think that's his real name, do you? I sincerely hope not. <laughs> me too. Um, so he writes, I'm looking Actually, for some... I've changed my mind. I sincerely hope so. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, what? Um, I'm looking for some funny podcasts to feature in my website. On my website, Thunder. On. Here are some things that I don't like and probably won't feature. Podcasts with five-minute intros explaining why this episode is late and a list of all the other places you can be followed. Well, that counts us out from the very get-go. Basically, I like shows that get right to it. Long intros are a sign it's going to be boring. Sorry, TN, I disagree. (laughs) 
Podcasts that are completely improvised with no script or jokes, I don't enjoy listening to a couple of friends laughing at their own reactions to pop culture. Ideally, we want podcasts that have pre-written jokes and skits, comedians who know what they're doing and what they want to say. This sounds like a letter to points of view, to be honest, doesn't it? Sounds like a letter directed at us. (laughs) I think so. Podcasts with a lot of conversation interruptions. I hate listen to multiple... I hate listen. Classic. I hate listen to multiple people interrupt each other every time they think of something. My favourite podcasts are usually just one or two people who are chill and get a point across. No podcasts hosted on websites that require login to listen. This includes Spotify. Well, we're shit out of luck there. Does it keep going? There's more. I don't want to bother my, my website visitors with having to leave the website to sign up or anything like that. Bandcamp is most preferred. SoundCloud and YouTube are also acceptable. All those requirements may sound too specific and very rare to find, but I only want the best on my website, not trying to bore my audience. Cool. Thanks. Drop page. He just very dramatically ripped it up with <laughs> one hand. Crumpled. Crumpled. Didn't rip that that perhaps bolsters my self-confidence because he just basically described us. He did. I mean, <laughs> the spelling in that. I mean, TN. Listen. Come on. Glass houses and whatnot. Right. Throwing stones from... Don't. It's time for Movie News. Movie News. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. Charlie Cox has been named by Kevin Feige as the official daredevil of the MCU after appearing in the Netflix series that lasted two seasons. Three. Uh, three? Three mm. seasons. I'm terribly sorry. I'm glad I did my research. Um, and he That's also, what we have me here for. Right. Indeed. Um, what do you, how do you feel about that, the, the, that sort of crossing over? Do you think Jessica Jones and uh, Iron... F- okay, sorry. I couldn't say that with a straight face. Um, <laughs> Luke Cage. Um, uh, do you think those uh, those fellows should uh, appear in the MCU? Listen, I mean, Jessica Jones, um, sure. I think the great thing is that they can pick and choose. Um, but Charlie Cox was a fantastic daredevil. Right. And I think that recasting him would be very difficult at the moment. Right. Um, also because they have the Marvel logo at the beginning of every single episode of Daredevil on Netflix. So, I don't know, like, recasting is going to be a little difficult, but... I think he's fantastic and there's no reason to recast him. I, I think the reason is po- probably because the Netflix deal has lapsed. Yeah. Um, I, I believe they, they've taken them off Netflix now. Yeah, yeah. All of them have been... I don't know they've if moved they've to been, Disney Plus? I don't know if they've been removed from Netflix, but they've all been cancelled. Um, right, they've all been cancelled. Um, there is that, yeah. You know, I, I think I was, I was most upset about Daredevil than any of the others. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoy Jessica Jones. I don't think that Jessica Jones needs a, a movie. Um, no, I, I, I don't but, think. That, but do you think that she should appear in somebody else's movie? Um, I mean, I think there's always room for it. I think it's great to because they made a a few points to to sort of point out that these characters do exist within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, right. uh, Ben Urich in the first season of Daredevil has um, you know articles that he's won prizes for about the Battle of New York. Um, so it all does take place in the same universe, right? So, there's, so, you know, it would be a shame for them not to appear or to recast them completely. I think the answer is um, either you don't recast them and you don't have them appear in the movies or you bring them back. Like, I don't think recasting them is very clever. Okay. Um, more movie news. Yes, I'm, I'm going to move away from the MCU now because when I was uh, doing my research for this episode, it looked to me like every single piece of news was superhero movie related. 
um, talking about Morbius, talking about like all, all of the uh, like Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, there's tons of news about Spider-Man No Way Home. All this like sort of guessing and and whatnot, and it's coming out soon. So I'm um, avoiding hold it. your horses. Um, I'm also not that excited about it because it's kind of. You know, they've gone into the multiverse and it's, uh, you know, anything's possible. Anybody could turn up. And it's just like, okay, you know. I mean, I'm I'm interested to see it because I'm interested in the multiverse. And obviously, I'm, I, I like think Spider-Man. that they're kind of... I, just I think Spider-Man. they're capitalizing on the whole, uh, you know, into the Spider-Verse. I, I think I'm a lot more excited for Multiverse of, multiverse of Madness, I was going to say. Because oh. uh, Sam Raimi and... Uh, yeah, I'm interested in that as well. But uh, they have to introduce it in some way. Yeah. Um, and you know that there was a trailer for Spider-Verse 2. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Um, I'm excited for that. I really enjoyed the first one. Great animation. Yeah. Okay, little nugget here. Tom Holland will play Fred Astaire in an upcoming biopic. Or biopic. Of course he will. Um, He's a good dancer. He is a good dancer, yeah. uh, Could possibly work. He's playing everyone, including Um, everybody's favorite video game characters. Please don't piss all over it. (laughs) Well, he might be playing James Bond in a couple of years. You never know. Um, The Is Die Hard a Christmas Movie debate rages on consistently and pointlessly. Yeah, man walking down the street had this to say, I don't give a rat's anus. Uh, Martha De Laurentiis <laughs> died. Um, the uh, producer of Hannibal, Red Dragon, Breakdown, mm. and U571. She was married to Dino De Laurentiis, uh, uber producer extraordinaire. She was 67. Um, R.I.P. Um, she, was, uh, she did some really great stuff. Moment of silence. Moment of silence. Crack on. All right. Um, okay, uh, another slightly serious bit. Um, I read that... Uh, Alec Baldwin did an interview. Yeah. Uh, with 60 Minutes, I believe. I saw some of it. Yeah. So there was a uh, an armorer. I, d- I don't recall his name, but there was a veteran armorer who saw the promo of that 60 Minute interview where he says, um, I didn't pull the trigger. And he kind of lashed out and said, well, guns don't go off by themselves. When you watch the entire interview in context you understand exactly what was going on in the church was that they were setting up the shot and he was moving, he was moving his arm and, and saying, can you see this? Can you see this? And she was telling him exactly how and where to angle the gun because she's the cinematographer and they were doing blocking. They were, they were rehearsing and the script required him to pull back the hammer to cock the gun. Um, and the this same armorer said that you know the uh, that particular pistol is very very sensitive, and just pulling back the hammer could uh, could set it off. So that to me, um, it it doesn't necessarily absolve him of responsibility. But I do not believe that all of these people on social media who are lashing out and condemning and uh, all the laugh emojis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I, I think that's unwarranted and in very, very poor taste. Well, I mean, um, I I do want to, you know, m- you know, move on to, you know, the the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Of but course. I don't mind if this episode is a little longer. Just so I want to say something about this. Yeah. Um. You know, and cancel culture, come get me. But right. what what responsibility exactly is he supposed to be absolved of? Like, I mean, honestly, yeah. The accidents happen, and you know. This this sort of shit. Even if he had pulled the trigger because he was testing a prop gun, yeah. Um, you know, does that make it his fault exactly? I mean, I I I think it's more the fault of the problem of the person who's uh, you know, who's loading right. So the, the, the prop guns. Like, so the armorer was not on the set because she was outside the church for um, corona reasons, yeah. apparently. 
Um, but um, but people have been saying, people who know absolutely nothing about how a set works, people have been saying that he should have uh, he should have checked the gun before he uh, before he started using it. But However, he's not a gun expert. How would he know? A, right. There is a uh, there's a hierarchy on a set. Um, there's an armorer. There's an AD. There are people who are supposed to uh, to check the gun to make there sure. There are unions. I'm sure right. that it's against union rules for an actor to check I'm the pistol. I'm fairly certain. I'm fairly certain. I'm just um, I'm just curious about all of the outrage and and anger towards Alec Baldwin. Right. Just like what is everybody expecting from him? The guy feels terrible. You can see in his interviews and and you know in in everything that he said about this that it's you know it's right. the worst moment of his entire life. And I'm sure it is. And you know, I, think, I don't. I, think I don't think that we should be expecting anything from him other than okay, tell us what happened, right. and and to take him at his word for it because he's not. You you can't send someone to jail for that sort of thing. And right. and why does why is it that everybody the moment that anyone sneezes online or something happens in the world, everybody has to get their fucking pitchforks and and torches right. out? It drives me crazy. So that's that's what I wanted to talk about the, just briefly there that the uh, that he's being. Um, He's being hunted down and uh, and condemned for this thing, uh, but like it's only because he's Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, um, there are stunts that go wrong all the time. Yeah. Stunt people are faceless to the uh, to the to the outside world. You know, nobody nobody really bats an eyelid when a stunt man dies. But the person that rigged up the wire that snapped yeah. is uh, just as liable as Alec Baldwin. Absolutely. But accidents happen yeah and uh and i don't think that it's anyone's fault except for possibly the armorer who didn't uh, who didn't do her job properly and who wasn't experienced enough and was only 24 years old at the time oh, at the time is only 24 years old so um yeah i just wanted to uh to voice an opinion thank on you that. for bringing that up i think that that's actual movie news for once yeah there we go <laughs> movie news okay took a little bit of a turn for the serious but uh I'm very I, I glad it, that that happened. I think it was nice. Yeah. I think it was nice. Okay. Um, I made a list just before we went to see Ghostbusters Afterlife of things that I did not want to see in Ghostbusters <laughs> Afterlife. Uh, the list is as follows. <clears throat> Nanobots. Okay. Actors being released from contracts by dying. Good. Okay. Long lost children. Either they were planned or they don't exist. You know, we have a couch here. If you want, we can do like a therapy <laughs> session about No Time okay. to Die if you want. I, one I moment, see that one moment. <clears throat> Melissa McCarthy and Clan. Good. Uh, spectral blowjobs. <laughs> I don't think it worked the first time. <laughs> it didn't need to come back. Good. Bloodless gun barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Recycling of On Her Majesty's Secret Service score and theme song. <laughs> Rubbish villain with no real purpose. <laughs> You, you've just watched it again, haven't you? No, I have not. No? Um, no. I thought you said you were going to, because it's oh, on streaming. It's on streaming, but I, I was... Um, no, I, I'm, I'm not watching it again. I'm waiting for the Blu-ray, and then I will watch it again, and then we'll, we'll dig up all of these, like, uh, reopen these old wounds. What do you mean, old wounds? They're well, obviously still gaping, gashing, <laughs> moors. You know? God's sake. Continue. Okay, I wanted to Would talk you to you... Would you say that that... that that didn't happen then in the film. <laughs> as far as I recall, Melissa McCarthy and clan were nowhere to be seen. Yes. And there were no nanobots. No, so and I'm there were no blowjobs. Yeah, there were no blowjobs. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk mm. to you a little bit about uh, fan service. Okay. Um, because this movie is drenched in it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is, uh, is successful and some of it less so. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to just like say a couple of things about this. Um, so I, I don't really have an issue with fan service as long as it's done well, as yeah. we said. 
Um, I think that Force Awakens is a great example of fan service done well. Okay. A lot of people complain about you know the rehashing of the plot of the first movie, but I think that um, I think the Ghostbusters Afterlife does something very similar with rehashing the plot. Um, but the uh, but the the main thing is to do something differently. It's like a, a again, it's like a Bond movie that each Bond movie kind of follows the same pattern if it's done properly. <laughs> Um, I don't feel like it follows the same. I think that the the, there, there the is, third there are the beats. third part has a lot of yeah you know very similar beats. But I think that the the journey of discovery and and of family is something that you don't really you haven't really seen in the other Ghostbusters movies. And, right, and the uh, you know other things like the 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 themes of of um, being out in the middle of nowhere. It's no longer in New York, right? It's mm-hmm. not like a big city adventure. I think there's a lot that they've done differently, but yeah, there's a lot of fan service. Yeah, um, I, I'm just, I'm just saying about like about uh, um, Force Awakens mm. is that uh, if you sit there and you really think about it, yes, it follows the same the same structure of the of the first movie, but I enjoyed the introduction of the new characters. I enjoyed the uh, the integration of the uh, of the the original trilogy characters. Yeah, um, and I thought that it did a great job of updating not only the um, the, sort of continuing the story, but also updating the aesthetic uh, while keeping the um, the the kind of quote unquote legacy elements. Yeah. Um, so uh, so my my question is this: like, I, I have two questions I'm asking when I'm going to see a legacy sequel like this. Um, is is the the fan service that is implemented organic? Mm-hmm. For example, is it? Um, something that integrates into the story, uh, like in Ghostbusters Afterlife, where the um, you know the the Geiger meter or, or whatever is used, um, or the symmetrical book stacking that's just like yeah. in the you know in the background kind of thing, or is it hey look at this callback, yeah. cool eh? Mm-hmm. Look at that 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 happened in the in the previous. I thing. have I have a thing to talk about on, yeah, yeah. on callbacks that that is it fits more neatly into VFX attic. But. Okay. Um, so that's uh, so that's one question. Uh, the second question is: Does it work for casual viewers, or do you have to be so well versed in the previous uh, in the previous movies that um, you know that you're not going to understand anything uh, because it's all about callbacks? Um, so uh, the thing that's the thing that I'm finding with the so-called quote-unquote legacy sequels is that they are too reverential to the originals. Take take for example, Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah. Um, there's there's way too much of that, and it just like <clears throat> it just basically rehashes. Um, the uh, the previous movies with younger characters and the having the original Bill and Ted kind of um, you know kind of along for the ride really because the uh, the the uh, the kids kind of take over at some point yeah um, and then you've got you know William Sadler chucked in there as kind of a uh, hey death's got to be in it so yeah. here he is um, and I I'm, I'm more interested when I see these sequels I'm more interested to see where are the characters now and what are they doing. Yeah. Um and and how are we picking them up uh, from the from the previous movies and where is their story now going to go? Um something I felt that was right. really I, well done. W- w- one second. No, sorry. Sorry. I'm not allowed to talk about the film apparently having opinions. <laughs> we're, 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 when we're Johnny's good and ready, we'll give my opinions. Almost there. Um for example, I felt that Han Solo's arc was uh, was well handled. Yes. So I like that. Um anyway. So uh, Oh no. Take my eyes, not my notes. <laughs> you spilled soda on your notes. Very Shit. Good. Okay. Sorry, right. I only. Uh, so, so what I'm saying is that I, I feel like there needs to be. Um, they need to imagine like uh, like the original. There's no legacy. There's no. Uh, there's no nostalgia. There's no history. You know, it's just 
it's not people aren't expecting anything it's just i'm picking up the story where it left off and i'm continuing um so that's what i wanted to see um with this movie uh discuss <laughs> yeah i can say what i think now yeah yeah go ahead um, I think that the for me personally, I I was I don't think there was a there were there were a couple of moments in the movie where I was less than pleased. Um, me too. I have one specific shot that that drove me insane. I'd like to hear what that was. Um, but but one moment. So apart from a couple of things that I um I was less than pleased with. Um, I think that uh, most of the movie I was there just grinning. I was very happy. Uh, I didn't feel like the music cues were over the top particularly. I felt that they were used correctly, unlike in the Ghostbusters video game, which I think I already mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of, you know, like the that piano thing. Um, there was a lot of, it was too much. And in a, in a game, it's not really, con- it is controlled, but you know, you can spend as much time as you want in a certain area before you move on, and that music's going to loop, and it'll drive you crazy. Oh, right, Alex Kidd. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I, I think the, I think the, the one thing that, that I really enjoyed in, in this movie was the balance. I felt that there was a great balance between, uh, between callbacks and between the new things and discovering new things, and it's very, very rooted in the first movie. To me, it felt like they were almost bypassing the second movie. They don't... Soda. They don't mention um, Vigo or any of the slime thing that happened in, in the museum. Or if they did, I missed it. Um, yeah, they kind of bypassed Ghostbusters 2. You said it to me during the movie, and yeah. I was like, no, they didn't do that. And then I realized by the end, they completely bypassed it, except for Razor Cult, which is, which a, is from very much a Ghostbusters 2. 2. And also the fact that um, Dana and Peter are married... And together. Well, I mean, that could have been inferred from completely mm-hmm. skipping Ghostbusters 2. Well, I don't think that they that they did skip Ghostbusters 2. I just think that they didn't acknowledge it because none of it really ties into the overall story right. that's going on. Which, you know, I think what you've just said is actually correct. That the Razor Cult thing definitely means that, you know, yes, it's 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 they, canon they didn't do the the halloween thing from 2018 where they completely bypassed the rest of the movies and right. just like continued on from number one right um and so i'm uh you know i was pleased that they didn't do that because that was something i was worried that they were gonna do um the opening of the movie uh is so incredible to me i enjoyed it um i i'm gonna tell you now from the get-go i really enjoyed the movie Hmm. I spent most of the runtime, at least three quarters of it, really enjoying myself. Um, But I am going to criticize some things. So am I. I have some things to say. Okay. Um, But what I wanted to say is that I am. You immediately know that it's Egon, right? And here, here is where we we're jumping straight into spoilers. Straight into spoilers. Okay. Harold Ramis. When did he die? Two thousand fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Um, And um, I was worried. That they were going to do. I was quite Grand devastated when he died. Me too. I was. I. I was. I think that he's. Uh, that he was a, a fantastic director beyond Ghostbusters, and I yeah. thought that he had a lot more to give. And I also remember seeing him in Orange County, mm. um, and he was just hilarious in that movie. That 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 moment where he, you know, where he gets uh, sort of um, accidentally drugged. <laughs> Um, and, and I just like, I, I just, I, I think he was, he was a great loss. I mean, I mean, I, I really miss Robin Williams, but, uh, but I had that, that, you know, that 
pang of, of missing Howard Ramis as well. Yeah. He's really good. Anyway, so yeah, go on. Yeah, so uh, me too. And also, you know, because I'm I'm an artist and 3D artist, 2D artist on the side, um, I, I'm very... Most of my Facebook and Instagram feeds are in t- and twitter are entirely just i'm i, I follow artists right. and when a when a celebrity dies um artists get together and they they like they they, they do all do yeah. renderings of you know these some of them are the most poignant things you've ever seen one artist for robin williams did him uh surrounded by his characters including the genie yeah um and mrs that. doubtfire and he put like uh you know they've got like their their hands on his shoulders you know like um, there was when, um, uh, and when Harold, uh, Ramis, is it Ramis or Ramis? I feel Ramis. like Ramis, I would say it wrong. When Harold Ramis died, um, someone did something that just looked so poignant to me, which was, um, him with his back to us, uh, quite easy to, to distinguish his silhouette, which we're going to talk about in a second. Right. Um, but you know, and, and he's holding Slimer's hand, who's also facing away from us, and they're sort of walking off into the light, right. which I think is—it just—it made me tear up. You know, I think that artists can be extremely prolific with, um, you know, the the mediums that they use, and and I think that um, the artistry on on show in this movie is also not just a a tribute to Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters fans, but to Harold Ramis as well. I think so, also in terms of like. Um, hmm. In terms of the the tech, um, how far we've come in terms of um, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later. But in terms of resurrecting somebody who's um, who's been gone, yeah, yeah, um, we will talk about this. But there's, there's also there's a some couple techniques of things, here that are very um, yeah. I wanted to talk uh, also about um, about the actor who uh, who portrayed Egon in the uh, in the opening sequence. But we'll leave all that for the trivia corner. Cool. Put a pin in it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so you immediately know it's Egon, even though he right. never speaks. We never see his face. His um, his I silhouette is very in- that, by the easily way. distinguishable. What? Uh, before we saw the movie, because each Ghostbusters movie, including 2016's Answer the Call, opens with a kind of uh, a cold open. Right. And I was wondering how they were going to do that because all the trailers just show them arriving at the farmhouse and 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 the way that his ghost he gets you know snuffed out which yeah. by the way we talked about this in uh, the one about answer the call how people generally don't get killed by ghosts you spilled soda on your notes as well <laughs> yeah fantastic um so people generally don't die in the in this series and it bugged me the way that they just sort of like you know bill it murray was... gets kicked out of the window yeah and it was it was very and for some reason it didn't it didn't bug me in the way that it bugged me with Answer the Call. It bugged me in that, oh no, one of the Ghostbusters has been killed, right? But and how... I think they, it, he was more like scared to death. I think that he was uh, attacked and he had a heart attack, right? He was old. Um, I don't right. think that the ghost actually killed him. I don't think that the ghost took his uh, life cause away. Because he's, he's in, the, um, he's in the, the, the sort of armchair... Yeah, in the same way that Dana's in the yeah, armchair the, and the, hands, the arms, the come, arms come through, etc. So I was wondering if maybe he was going to be taken over by uh, by Vince, maybe. So he's scared to death, and the way his ghost silently whooshes out of the house. There's no music. There's no sound effect apart from the you know the of the the sort right. of orangey red um, ghost soul thing that you know you've seen from the first movie. 
Um, it whooshes past the camera, and it leads to a very somber and quiet opening title that's yeah. very different, very but different very necessary yeah. for the weight and gravitas that you need for the emotions to come, the emotions of loss, the emotions of family, of not knowing. Like, it's all very, I feel, tr- very... And, and his presence is very sort of looming over the whole movie, and I, like you, felt myself feeling the loss quite a bit. The the um, It's also the, the first time that a Ghostbusters movie, there have been three Ghostbusters movies, this is the fourth, yeah. that it hasn't opened with the Ray Parker theme song. Yeah. Um, so uh, and I and I felt that that was a, it was very well done, very well. Done. And this is definitely, I feel, how a movie should handle an actor's death. I feel that all the way, all the way through the movie, even including the end sequence, which we will get into. Yeah. Um, this was the correct way to do it. Right. I think. Um, what do you think of the uh, the young cast? Okay, so have you crossed out something that I've just said? Yeah, the the opening. We talked okay, about the opening. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> go on. Um, the young cast. I think McKenna Grace. Yeah. As uh, as Phoebe Spangler, and also very uh, very tellingly, she's not referred to the entire way through as Phoebe Spangler, and um, Egon is uh, referred to the entire way through as Dirt Farmer until yeah. they they find out that who he, uh, is. Who he is. They. I mean, at the beginning, the. Um, Paul Rudd is showing uh, Paul Rudd's character Gary. Uh, what's his name? Gruberson. 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 Yeah. Um, Gary sh- Gruberson. Gary. And I think at some point he says, "I'm Gary." I'm Gary. <laughs> In a weird um, way, he's brilliant. So he's showing um, Phoebe and podcast the um, uh, the video of the uh, of the Ghostbusters ad, and yeah. the uh, no, he's not showing them the Ghostbusters ad. He's showing them the footage of New York. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, she finds the ad later. Right. And I was just thinking, um, how is it that all of this stuff was very high profile and we're living in an age of information and they don't know who Egon was? And then I realized that they don't know that Egon was their grandfather. Yeah. That there was no, that they had, they didn't realize they had that connection. Um, and then t- later on in the movie, she goes, my grandfather was a Ghostbuster. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, so that was very nicely handled, I thought, as well. Um, but, uh, but I, I think she was excellent. I think she was, uh, first of all, the glasses, you know, you see the yeah. glasses that they're exactly the same as, uh, as Cause she finds glasses. his, she finds yeah. Egon's glasses in his, uh, jumpsuit yeah. and she puts them over hers and you see right. they're exactly the same shape. Um, the, uh, the hair, the, yeah. the costuming, everything, her, her, um, her sort of Inflection. awkwardness, um, you know, the fact that she's, uh, that she's telling these jokes to, in order to sort of like start conversations even though she's a science nerd and completely socially awkward i just thought that she was that she was brilliant and i really was, love her line it's she, it's a what, very she, Egon... like 13 or 14 when she did this it was this, yeah. this movie was delayed quite but a bit. you know that she was in uh haunting of haunting hill house, house and she yeah. she played um kate siegel's um uh younger counterpart mm. um and uh she was amazing in that as well and i think that she was also in handmaid's tale and a very adult role in was *Handmaid's she? Tale*. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She played uh, one of the uh, one of the wives. Oh right, right, right. She, I know, I know. Yeah, she, yeah. She's like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So, um, she she has a line where she says, um, "Oh damn it, I had it a second ago. Something calms me. Overstimulation calms Overstimulation me. Overstimulation calms me. Right, yeah, yeah. and that's a very Egon line. Yeah, I felt. Um, and it's, she it's she handles very it subtly really well. handled. Yeah, like, it's not like she does things." Um, the the directly echo um, 
things in the uh, in the previous movies. It's like little tiny personality. She's her traits. own. She's her own sort right. of character, but but you can tell that she's descended from. Yeah. And you know, it's really a you know really electrifying like her performance as so well as Logan where, Kim as well is is brilliant as, as, as podcast. podcast. Yeah. Um, he was. I don't know. I, I was just like giggling a lot at all of his lines. Yeah. Um, Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> Finn Wolfhard um, didn't really have so much to do script wise. Yeah. It felt like him and he and uh, Logan Kim were sort of. If you mix the two of them together, the one liners and and you know sort of Trevor's womanizing whatever that it's the missing venkman piece it's the so, snark and so the... this was i was going to save this for trivia corner but oh, it's not sorry, really trivia sorry. it's not really trivia it doesn't matter um so the uh, the idea behind all that was that obviously phoebe is supposed to represent uh, egon yeah um podcast is supposed to represent ray and yeah. you can see that he's he's wearing the goggles and he's very excited yeah. all the time he says things like class five free roaming vapor even though he wouldn't How know, would what, he that know what that is. That that I thought of during the uh, when he's when he said that I was I was kind of confused about that. But again, that well, could be actually actually service. I was thinking about that afterwards. Yeah, um, and the podcast does know about it. He does know about the Ghostbusters. He, you know, right. um, she Phoebe doesn't, and she's like, well, this okay, was thirty so, uh, years uh, before we were born. I, I guess it makes sense. But you know, it 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 makes sense that he would. He would know these things, and he's looked them up, and you know he right. he was using the Tobin Spirit Guide at one point. Huh. Um, uh, he was that. he was reading it on her bed. That's how he found the ah. pictures. That's the Tobin Spirit Guide, right? Um, and uh, or, or at least one of the catalogs that no, they no, use. Right, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, like he's he's sort of like you know he is the Ray, right? Um, but I, I think that yeah. So okay, so you've got you've got uh, Phoebe as Egon. Uh, podcast as um, as uh, Ray, um, and then uh, Finn Wolfhard, um, who plays Trevor, is supposed to represent um, Venkman. Yeah, he's a, he's a wisecracker. He's more into like sort of the you know the chasing girls and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Lucky represents Winston. Her character was very interesting when she was um, sort of sparring with Trevor. Yeah, and then suddenly she becomes a Ghostbuster. With very little explanation as to why she would do that. Yeah. Like, why suddenly she's a Ghostbuster and why. Um, well, I and, mean, she and... was with them down in the pit. And, right. You know, like, I, I think the I think it's not like... It was It was just a little it, bit It wasn't completely rushed. out of left field for me, but it was rushed. And yeah. there were a few things in this movie that I think were a little rushed. Yeah, me too. Um, um, but that was that was what I felt was that, uh, was that the, uh, you know, because she's African-American, she had to represent the African-American yeah. uh, Ghostbuster. I was actually not thinking about those parallels at all. I was, I was in, entirely, when I was watching it, I was like, they are all their own thing. Yeah, and, that's know, what I was thinking when I was watching it. I read this afterwards, and I thought, actually, that does track. But, it tracks, um, but it's not. Uh, but it's it, not it how I read it of, when I was. Re- it also kind it. of belittles it slightly. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so podcast. Yeah, I, I thought he was very cute as well. Yeah. He was a very, very cute, very funny character, and I enjoyed the uh, the chemistry that the two of them had with Paul Rudd's character. Yeah, as well. um, and uh, he's he's likable as ever, and also um, ageless. I was actually really happy that um, Gary Gruberson uh, was not a Ghostbuster in the end. Because I thought maybe he was going to be the adult part of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Taking over from the old ones. Um, And even though it was kind of spoiled in the trailer, he is the Lewis character getting possessed by Vince. It was spoiled in the trailer? 
Well, oh, there's a chased. bit of him being chased yeah. by the, the... It didn't register. Yeah, the terror dog. No, it didn't register for me until I watched the scene yeah. in its entirety. But when when the dog jumps on, on, the, on car, the car... Yeah, I realized that. Uh, so I was like, he's happen. the Lewis. And I was so happy that that happened. He is Ant-Man. He is all these, you know, awesome characters. And it's like, here he's taking that more... I don't want to say damsel in distress, but like he's he's not the hero in right. the movie. So um, if we're yeah. if we're here, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in my notes because because okay. um, uh, I wanted to tell you the shot that um, that made me miserable. Go on. Um, was that everything up until that point was great until um, Callie, played mm. by Carrie Coon, yeah. uh, the mother of uh, of Phoebe and Trevor. And um, and Gary are walking towards each other next to the mountain, yeah. and she rips off her clothes, and it turns and it into reveals Dana's. Dana's dress underneath from yeah. the uh, from the first one. Um, I mean, even I could even accept the whole uh, there is no Callie, there is no mum, only Zool. Um, I I could I I was I didn't hate that scene. I didn't hate that when, scene when she's in the chair. When she's Very in the creepy. chair. But then when they come out, um, when they come out to the mountain and they start like necking and whatever, it just started like it started getting a little bit silly for me. Yeah. Um, because Jason Reitman is an excellent director, and he, he even said like, it, oh, I'll put a pin in it. But there's something uh, in trivia corner that I wanted to say that he gave in an interview. Um, but um, but he he was you can see where his fingerprints are. He was very much focused on the characters and the um, and the the sort of the family story, which I thought was great because it's uh, it's a very slow burn. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of great banter and it's Reitman esque as well. Yeah. Like you think about movies like Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking and yeah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a nice um, air of uh, of sort of not overt comedy, but banter. Yeah. Um, nice and snarky. Um, and I like that kind of, that rhythm between the, uh, between the actors as well, that they, they pulled it off very, very nicely. It wasn't Juno-esque. It wasn't like, uh, you know, Diablo Cody, um, you know, kind of uh, over the top, you know, kind of thing where you, where you start, where you're sitting there and you're thinking, Oh God, people don't talk like that. It was, it was, it was kind of natural. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, uh, there's some I, uh, nice, grizzle. yeah, there's some, there's a nice eighties vibe. Definitely, like the yeah. moment, um, like first of all, that that kind of summer of love kind of uh, kind of vibe. The the Finn Wolfhard's hair is still long for the uh, for I guess for the period of uh, Stranger, of Stranger Things, things. Um, but um, but it gave it also like the pastel um, you know sort of color scheme and the cinematography. It gave it a nice air of that kind of eighties uh, coming of age kind of story. Yeah. And the shot where um, Trevor goes into the barn. And um, you know, before the uh, before the lightning cuts out and everything, and you see the logo on Ecto One is so Spielberg. Yeah, is it's it's very ET kind of thing. You even said and, to me in the cinema. Yeah, yeah, the music as well. I thought that the uh, that the score um, was uh, was great. I thought that it used enough of the Elmer Bernstein uh, influences that uh, that it needed to. Um, and it was uh, it it kind of um, took on this John Williams kind of. It was uh, very kind of feel. yeah. It was also it it heightened. There was a lot of creepiness in this movie. Like I felt like uh, it was a lot scarier than because uh, yeah. the first Ghostbusters movie has a lot of creepy sort of scary vibes yeah. to it. We said that in the in the first, in the yeah. Ghostbusters podcast. Um, but if we've uh, mentioned Carrie Coon, yeah. Um, and sorry, I just want to say Rob Simonson is the uh, is the. Um, composer that, oh. uh, and he d- and a lot of people are praising that score I think it's it's really it gives really it all the heart and it gives it the excitement um, yeah great yeah 
Um, but Carrie Coon gives, a, I think, a really good performance, but unfortunately not a memorable one. It's one of my gripes. I enjoyed um, her. I didn't think that she was the uh, the quintessential mom character. No, but I mean, no, I actually like that. I like that she was a little bit different yeah. in her approach. That's but I feel yeah. that she, uh, you know, there's there's these uh, interesting, there's this thing that I, I was going, okay, people are going to be having a go at her for saying to her daughter, don't be yourself. Right. Yeah, but then the it's joke. revealed, yeah. it's revealed that that's just something they say to each other. You know, she says it later, Phoebe says it back to her later on, you know, like, don't be yourself. And she goes, ha ha ha. Right. You know, it's like a little, but thing. that was also the thing that she is denying who she is the entire way through the movie. That's yeah. a, that's a theme that runs through. She's, um, uh, she also says to Paul Rudd's character, um, that, uh, you know, they're on a date together and he's talking about science and he's talking about the seismic activity and the fact that this, uh, you know, this town where anybody barely sneezes, there's, uh, you know, it's going off the Richter scale, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and she says, I don't want to talk about science. Yeah. I'm not interested in science. Science turns me off kind of thing. And that whole thing is because Egon left her. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you realize towards the very end that, you know, that, uh, you know that he he left her for the greater good, but you know he he was thinking about her the entire time. Yeah, but there's, this is one of the things that bothers me about the movie. Yeah, I feel that she could have shown cracks in that facade a little bit more during her conversations about Egon because she's very kind yeah. of like very close. Yeah, and, you she's know, like he's an asshole and such and such. But I her like the coming fact around, that he's there yeah, and he's listening. So her, so as I said, his presence is felt throughout the movie, and he's helping. Uh, Phoebe all the way through the movie he's turning on lights and he's playing chess with her and uh, yeah. you know he's he's he, you know she says you know how do you know all this stuff and he like shines a light on his all of his uh, diplomas and, I th- and I felt that that was very like a, almost like the Pixar lamp that it gave him yeah. it gave him gave a personality him yeah exactly the the movement of the uh, of the lamp um, but Carrie Coon's coming around um, while expected was very quick and not rushed. earned yeah like yeah, yeah. i feel it on a story level it was earned but on a character level the performance wasn't quite there um uh, unlike you i didn't have any problem with the um uh with her being possessed and the whole there is no I mom only Zool. no i didn't have a problem creepy. with her being possessed i just felt that the uh it's, it's also the way that it was shot and the music etc etc that they're walking towards each other rehashing the uh the Sigourney Weaver Rick Moranis uh scene from the uh from the first movie um that this movie that has been like sort of tinged with comedy the whole way through but yeah. is uh is primarily a family drama and by the way a lot of criticism has been leveled at that first and second act uh, or the first act before before the ghosts start to really make yeah. themselves present um that it's uh, that it's boring and it takes a long time to get oh, going fuck off. and i thought that it was those were my favorite parts of the movie yeah. i enjoyed getting to know those characters i enjoyed the fact that it was a different kind of movie to the ghostbusters we've seen before um i yeah i i thought that um that the first and second act were were great and i, I thought well. that the the sudden descent into silliness was where it kind of jarred for me a little bit I only felt that the silliness was uh, was in that moment in the mountains, like I did, like between the two of them. I didn't right. feel that the uh, the finale wasn't silly. The you know I thought that the we'll talk about this with uh, with ghost design, but you know mm-hmm. the the way that they get the uh, the proton pack out of the jail cell is really clever, and it's uh, it's a use, you know. Um, but um, I wanted to ask you about Evo Shandor. So I had something I had something to say about this. I the, there's a scene where they're down in the uh, in the cave yeah. under the mountain, and um, you see what Egon set up 
yeah. with the uh, with the uh, proton packs and the uh, and the cross streams, neutrino ones, neutrino ones, and the cross streams. Um, and um, you see when when each time that entity is trying to break through, yeah. Um, you know, you see like everything start to 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 sort of you know where the earthquakes are coming from, etc., etc. And Evo Shandor is in a glass sarcophagus, um, preserved perfectly. Um, and he, uh, you see him kind of turn his head and wake up and go, <gasps> yeah, very. And it's creepy. really creepy. The problem I had with that was that they, for, like you know, Phoebe says. You know, once everything's died down, he was uh, he was doing this, this, and this, and whatever, and and they have this whole conversation in the caves. They forget that the creepy preserved corpse was moving, <laughs> and like, what's it doing now, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And then. Um, well, I think the point is that he only comes back to right. life when when uh, Goza comes back, right. right? Um. So when Goza does come back, played by Olivia Wilde, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that also the fact that she was known kind of took me out of it but also the fact that Evo Shandor is played by the great J.K. Simmons yeah. with um, with some really shoddy um, you know Makeup. goatee work yeah. um, I just thought that um, I just thought that he, he looked kind of silly and pantomime to be honest and then he says like a few words and he's ripped in two yeah um, it it disappointed me a lot because all of this kind of creepy allusion to Evo Shandor I really wished that outside of the game, they could have made him the big bad and not Goza. That maybe there was some kind of way that they could have um, that they could have brought in, like maybe Evo Shandor outside of the game. You mean the video game? Yeah, the video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because Evo Shandor is uh, is prominent in the video game, um, and you will you will talk about that. I'm I'm not going to step on. No, that. there's no, there's nothing. No, it's fine. Go on. Um, but I I thought that that perhaps that maybe Goza could have been one attempt at trying to bring about the apocalypse, but maybe Evo Shandor had his finger in many different pies yeah. and he was, um, he was an architect and he built all kinds of different temples and structures all over, all over the U S it seems. Mm. Um, and more could have been made of yeah. that, but instead sure. what they did was they rehashed the, um, the sort of temple sacrifice kind yeah. of, uh, kind of bit from the, uh, from the 84 film. Um, which um, which I thought, considering the rest of the movie was so original and so vibrant, that w- it was a shame. Um, I, I I wish that they had done something slightly different with it. Um, I so, do yeah. too. So Evo Shandor was a disappointment to me because he was barely in it and he could have been. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I've had a kind of fascination with Evo Shandor. I think that the less a character is seen, the scarier or more... Um, you know, influential. Like he, he looms over that first movie, right? And definitely over most of this but movie. But he's talked about. He's, he's talked, talked about. about and the there's very, movie. there's very sort of ominous music whenever right. he's mentioned. You know, he's a very dark and and right. disturbed, disturbing character. And you know, his his obsession with with Goza and and you know, the, and I think that some of the lore that they put into this movie of you know a pit where people sacrifice themselves by jumping in, right, uh, is is really really creepy. Um, and he's created this temple and it's underground and that's really you know really creepy. But in the Ghostbusters game, you know, he himself is the big bad and he takes possession of the mayor. Uh, to try to become a god himself, right? He he's disappointed with, um, uh, you know, 
the the failure with Gozer in the first movie, so he decides to become a god himself. Right. And he's in a sort of nether realm and another realm where he has godlike powers and the Ghostbusters go in, they fight him, they defeat him. Um, and uh, there's like a great battle and, and, you know, he's sort of defeated and forced back into his realm. Uh, and I think that in, in this movie, it would have been really cool if all of the different structures that he'd built in the town worked as some kind of conduit to power him as a as a god right right um but uh you know listen i still like the the fact that you know goza was there because it was it was cool that you know the ghostbusters you know came and so yeah you know. i'm i just think that um the perhaps the uh the threat could have been Something yeah, else. I really, I really think that he could have been a bigger threat. I, I, his, definitely, I think that if he would have been in his robes as well, there are like robes that he wears in uh, mm-hmm. in some of the artwork that you see people have drawn of him in his sort of. Uh, yeah, I the whole the whole thing where she rips him in half was a little bit upsetting to me. Felt like right. uh, they could have combined into one or something. Right, should have been really cool. Uh, but anyway, that's all I got on my notes. So before we go over to uh, Trivia Corner, I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, the one thing that I wanted to know about when I was reading reviews but didn't, hmm. uh, which was how much are the original uh, cast in the movie yeah. and how is it handled? Um, so first of all, let's start with the conversation, the phone conversation. Phoebe uses her one phone call when she's taken to prison. I First of all, that that, that whole sequence... With the uh, with the the Ecto one and, and the gunner chasing. seat and they're chasing Muncha, yeah, is brilliant. Yes, okay, agreed. I like the fact that uh, and and Jason Reitman's reasoning of of not including Slimer and creating a new character was that Slimer has become kind of a pet. Yeah, uh, since the real Ghostbusters, um, and uh, Muncha is a lot more of a uh, of a cantankerous kind of uh kind of a, a a ghost give me the pen i'm gonna cross out all of what i've written here then come on <sighs> fuck you no no that's all i gotta say oh okay then yeah. i'll leave it yeah um so uh so I, I i i really enjoyed him and uh and that chase and the fact that they destroy so many things yeah it, and that to me is a is a good callback because it echoes the uh the scene in the, in the uh, hotel in the cedric hotel sedgwick sedgwick that's what i said Yes. Um, it, oh, 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 oh. Nice shooting, Tex. Um, so uh, and and then they get uh, you know they get <laughs> penalized for it, uh, and they get sent to they get sent to, to the county lockup. Um, and I I like that very much. And I also like the fact that she uses her one phone call to call Razor Cult. Um, and and now we know, by the way, that that uh, that phone number from the advert is the phone at Razor Cult. Yeah. Um, so, uh, there's a really heartfelt scene where, um, an entire, maybe a page or two of script could have been exposition. Mm. And the way that Aykroyd plays it is just so pitch perfect. And it's like, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, where the fuck have you been? I want you back on my screen. Like, why is Dan Aykroyd taking such a leave of absence? Um, he's, he was really, really good. I thought that he was, uh, he was the right amount of emotional. It made me tear up slightly. Yeah, Just the way that too. he talks about, you know, Egon Spengler can burn in hell, etc. Because he tells the story of how Egon uh, made off with all of their equipment and the car and everything and basically sunk their business and cleaned them out. Yeah. Um, and didn't say what he was doing or why. 
Um, and he tells he tells the stories of the other Ghostbusters and where they are now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a really great little sequence, which ends off with Phoebe saying, "My grandfather was Egon Spengler," and yeah. I, I love that. It's so well done. That it's whole, so well also done. when she says he died last week, and he goes, "Oh, oh man. no kidding, oh, no. yeah, like really, right? like, like he he he's just said all these things, and then he's like, that hits me, you know, like it's it's really, uh... you know, what I felt actually that um, this is just occurring to me now that the three of them. Um, have all slipped into their characters so effortlessly that, you know, you, you watch uh, Die Hard um, 5. Yeah. Live free, not really free or Die Hard. Uh, um, a Good Day to Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you feel like you're maybe watching a different character. You're not watching the John McClane that you know. Um, and uh, it's very rare that, um, you know, that you watch one of these quote unquote legacy sequels and the uh, and the character is uh, is a sort of um a continue a, a natural continuation you yeah. know what a lot of people felt about luke that it doesn't matter what happened to him yeah. uh, in between you don't feel like it's luke until he sees chewy yeah and then he goes chewy what are you doing here and it's like okay well that's the luke i know yeah and then he um, immediately goes back goes to back being to being who you don't know shit. who he is um yeah and I felt like I felt like Dan Aykroyd and uh, and Bill Murray and uh, I hated that movie so. <laughs> I felt that uh, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Ernie Hudson um, just effortlessly slipped into their roles, and you can imagine that these are the same characters that you were watching thirty years ago. What's really funny is that if you, um, I was a little bit disappointed with Bill Murray's performance in the video game. Because he mm. sounds like he's sort of sleepwalking through it, like he, you know, because he doesn't he sound like himself. Well, he didn't want to do it. He well, he wanna, oh, do the, it and well, trivia he corner, trivia corner. He also didn't. He. It's harder to be a voice actor than it is, you know, right. when you're an actor with the with the costume on and you're on set and it's right. you know a little. But he was Venkman, like he was like he uh, was really he Venkman, was yeah. not Bill Murray. You know, he he'd slipped in, slipped into it, and it was yeah. really. Uh, I mean, Ray. I feel in the video game was a hundred percent Ray, right? Um, and so it was. You know, Egon and, uh, you know, Harold Ramis was actually right. still alive for that when they, when they made the video game. So he was able but like, to, to do it. In contrast to that feeling that I had of where the fuck is uh, Daniel Craig's Bond that I've seen for four movies. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt that, that specifically Dan Aykroyd, who gave the, the, the performance that moved me the most out of the three of them. Mm. Um, and, uh, and Ernie Hudson close behind. And I think that Venkman is the wisecracker. He didn't really have a chance to emote so much. Um, but, uh, but I felt that Dan Aykroyd had that kind of, that wistfulness, that, um, that energy, that excitement, that, um, you know, that sort of aw shucks charm, um, that, uh, the, uh, that Ray has. Um, I, I just thought it was it was very well written as yeah. well as performed. Um, so what disappointed me about it was that they turned up in the finale. Um, I felt like they should have turned up somewhere uh, towards the end of the second act. Yeah, there's a reveal where you see them sort of walk up in the uh, in the cornfields and go, "Did you miss us?" And I felt that that wasn't necessary. We knew that they were coming. Everybody knew that they were yeah. coming. Um, and that you've got that kind of, uh, that kind of punch the air reveal that Giles turns up. Was it in, in season five or something? It's season, uh, six. Season six. And, um, that he's Willow's been absent for dark. a while. Right. Willow's gone dark. He's been absent for a she while. She says, nobody can stop me. And then she gets right. hit by green energy. We're talking about energy. Buffy, by the way. Yeah. The she gets hit by green energy. It's one of my favorite moments in the whole right. show. And he goes, I'd like to test that theory. Okay. Brilliant. So that was because you didn't know it was going to happen and you weren't expecting it. Because they said, they said that he wasn't coming back. Right. That was the thing. So the three Ghostbusters just sort of turn up 
and we know that they're going to turn up. So there's no surprise factor there. And I just felt that, um, that you know, after that phone call, um, he should have uh, gotten them together. He should have gotten and... them together, and like, and they should have come because I wanted to see more of them. Yeah. The the whole thing that what what I was looking for was I wanted to see a continuation of the story while introducing new characters, and they spent three quarters of the movie introducing those characters in such a wonderful way yeah. um, that I felt that there was room to uh, bring the to, old, to ones, bring in the old ones in now. You yeah. Know? Um, so, and, and the thing is that they're all in the dark, in the cornfield. The entire finale takes place in the dark as well. Um, and I just thought that, uh, that there should have been more of them. I think, I think that the, the thing that was missing for me was Ray and podcast um sort of bonding bonding and, and over over the study right? right like studying like you know having having the two of them like if they would have all shown up um after um Carrie Coon disappears like after she's you know she's been po- possessed and she she runs away out the window uh, right. if that's where they would have shown up like a little bit after that yeah um or a little bit before and they would have all come back to the farmhouse right. And found her like that, and you know, Venkman could have made cracks about you know, I'd been here before or whatever. You know, the usual usual shit that they like to throw out. Oh, I don't remember this job being so hard. I'm old, right. um, <laughs> but like, um, you know, and then they would have gone down to Egon's lab, and they all would have. Now we have you know the new generation, the old generation working together to right. solve this mystery. That would have been really cool. Right. But you know what? They probably only had them for a little bit of time. Like, right. I'm they... sure that I'm sure that that's that's the reason. But um, but you know I'm talking. Oh about, no. Talking about the final <laughs> spilled your soda again. <laughs> talking about the f- the final movie. That that's what that's what I would have wanted. Um, uh, it might not be the final movie. Do you think no, that maybe I'm, they're going to no, do not the, the final version of oh, this the movie? Final. Oh, I like see. The, the like b- when you get past all of the making of stories and stuff like that. Uh, this yeah. is the result that we have. Um, yeah. And I and I wanted to see more of them. Um, and there's another thing I wanted to talk about the uh, the post credit sequence uh, yeah. in in regards to that that there are two post credit sequences. By the way, I just want to say um, that the staff of Yes Planet um, were very uh, very accommodating when we were sitting there right until the end credits, yeah. right until after the end credits to see the uh, the post credit scene. Um, I thought that the uh, the scene the scenes should have been switched. The scene with Dana and Peter was a joke and fan service and great should have been at the end should end. have been at the end after the credits it should have been an easter egg okay the scene with winston should not have been a, pro- a post credit sequence it should have it should have been the end of the movie it should have been the end of the movie and then um because it's it's character it's very important and it sets up the the, the possible next movie and you saw the logo at the beginning ghost court yeah um which is uh, which was at the beginning of uh, of uh, after, of um answer the call as well um, so obviously Sony are trying to revive the franchise in a very serious way. Um, so it's very possible they will be making another movie based on based on the success of this one. And I thought that you you go down into the uh, into the basement of the uh, of the firehouse and you see that blinking light on the containment unit. Yeah. That's when the Ghostbusters song should have come in. Yeah, it would have ended the movie perfectly. It should not have been a post credit sequence. That that is my. But My you understand critique. that they had to do that because um, it says, you know, for Harold. And then, you know, you've got to give 
I don't know. Like it, I don't know. I think it says for Harold, and then it could have uh, it could have faded out. Could have faded into and, him. And, and there she is. To and that he's Janine. talking to Janine, right? The the flashback kind of thing. And then she's sitting in the uh, in uh, Winston's office. Hmm, you're right. Um, and then he takes the uh, the Ecto one back to the firehouse and etc. But um, it's a really beautiful scene. Like that it's a really beautiful scene. scene, and it should have been a little bit more front and center. It yeah. shouldn't have been uh, pushed to the like not just a, a post like mid credit scene. It's a post credit scene. You have to sit there for the entire credits in order to get to it. And I thought that was a mistake. So um, before yeah. you move on to trivia corner, I just wanted to ask you. Let's say that they make a sequel. Yeah. Would you like to see? The original Ghostbusters having a more front and center, yes, like with with the new cast together, absolutely, because they've proven in that tiny little bit at the end that, that they can, can still do it. It can work, and they and they can still do it, and they're not um, they're not just there because um, you know because of fan service. They have I, to get on it before one of them croaks because they're old, <laughs> right? Um, I I think that they looking that they, at you, Bill Murray. I think they all inhabited their roles very, very nicely, and uh, and I want to see more of them, and I want to see them working in tandem with the uh, with the with the kids. Um, I thought the kids were wonderful. Um, yeah, I really wanted to see Bill Murray and and you know like the kids. So uh, swap barbs. Yeah, I thought that that could have been great. And the 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 other thing that I want to see in the next movie. First of all, I just want to make it clear: I'm getting tired of these quote-unquote legacy sequels yeah and i'm getting tired of nostalgia not getting tired of nostalgia if i want nostalgia you'll watch the i'll movies. watch the movies yeah i mean i just like i've you know it's not about oh look at that you remember that from the first one yeah i remember that from the first one because i can just chuck the blue way and the blue way the blue way i can just chuck the blue ray marriage marriage <laughs> i can just chuck the blue ray in and watch it you know so um <laughs> i i want to see new things i want to see things like uh, a quiet place a uh, knives out and last night in soho you know, I, I want to see, you know, Whiplash. I want to see these these really great movies that are not based on an IP, um, that uh, that surprise me, that excite me, that, you know. And I, I, I'm the most nostalgia-driven person ever, and I love these movies. Me too, but I think but it's I about... I think listen, they need to keep pumping them out. There's, there's, a thing, there's a thing here in Afterlife that is a yeah. very intricate understanding of what makes these movies work and right. what won't work now and what you and afterlife and, contains both of them and it contains both of them yeah. and and i think that you know just like i think we mentioned this in in the last podcast as well or two podcasts ago with 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 you know remakes of, of video games that came out like in 2009 right you know remaking something like kotor or remaking uh demon souls right giving it an entirely new coat of paint for today's visuals. It's, right. it's, it's something you can do mm-hmm. because if the game mechanics still work, if they still, you know, if it's still a good game, then a new generation should enjoy it. You cannot do that with an old movie. You cannot sort of remake it with new actors and new visuals and new everything. Um, so you have to do these quote unquote legacy movies. Should we just call them legacy movies as that's what everyone, that's yeah. what everyone's calling them. It's yeah. exhausting to me to do quote unquote every time. Um, but oh God, so exhausting. Bartholomew, <laughs> please play with my, uh, with my hands here. Anyway, <laughs> what was that? Sorry. Slow down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, you know, the, the the, there's 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 something about a remake or a or a legacy movie where it's like you have to understand the source material and understand what does work and what doesn't work and bring it together and I think this movie did it really really yeah, well yeah because I think the per- the right person got the job and I also think Absolutely. that uh, having his dad um, sort of breathing down his neck the entire way was through a was a good very good thing. decision um, I I don't know I I missed um, as I said I miss seeing the uh, 
sort of continuation of their story. Yeah. Um, and I missed Oscar. I want to. I want to say. I, I was I hoping I was going to see some kind of grown-up w- version of Oscar. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Um, I'm going to go over the trivia corner because um, uh, because there is a there is an Oscar-centric uh, moment in trivia corner. Before we do, yes, we're going to uh, hear hear from our sponsor. What's Our Seat Number is sponsored by Nice Bag. Are you or any of your family members afraid of getting hit by an iceberg? If you are, you may wish to purchase a squeezy bottle of Nice Bag, an anti-iceberg solution. Modern day scientists agree that the chances of getting hit by an iceberg from the comfort of your own living room are about the same as seeing a spider. However, with Nice Bag, an anti-iceberg solution you can use underwater. Just spray the Nice Bag solution on the offending submerged glacial fragment and watch as you turn its frown upside down. Nice Bag, just because you aren't in the water doesn't mean it can't get you while you're asleep. Thank you for that um... <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia Court. Trivia Court. I'm just going to get into Calvin Dyson mode. Go on. Oh, so you're going to go, ooh. Mm, oh, good. Okay, so um, the one thing that I really enjoyed from the uh, from the Ecto-1 sequence, the chase, was the gunner seat. Yeah. Apparently, the gunner seat was actually used in the real Ghostbusters, yet mm. never used in either of the original films. Mm. Um, here's something that I, I read before we saw the movie, but uh, I didn't notice it. I think it's, uh, it's in the end credits. Yes, it is. Uh, Ernie Hudson is credited as... Uh, Dr. Winston Zedmore, mm-hmm. indicating that in the time between Ghostbusters 2 and this film, Winston may have earned a PhD, which was hinted at in in-game dialogue of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember that, but I would yes. take your word for it. Okay, so this is the interview that uh, Jason Reitman gave um, to MTV in 2007. He says, um, when asked what he would do if he had the chance to take on a Ghostbusters film himself, he said... Uh, it would be the most boring Ghostbusters movie of all time. There would be no Ghostbusting. Ghostbusters is iconic, and I don't think I can touch that. My Ghostbusters film would be just guys talking about ghosts, really. You hear about that ghost? Spooky stuff. And the other guy would be like, yeah, I don't have plans to touch Ghostbusters. Um, so Lies. It's, no, it's interesting because um, it's true, though. He, he, he wanted to make a, a drama yeah. and, uh, you know, with, like, comedic elements, and I think that that really worked. Um, uh, and, and I think that the finale maybe shows that he's never done that kind of thing before yeah. because, um, you know, it is quite rushed and there is a, a sort of a rehash of the first movie. So, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I thought that he did a fantastic job and I think that maybe they could have kept it as low key as it was, um, without escalating it to that point. But, uh, anyway, um, yeah. Okay. We talked about this. Each one of the main child actors emulates one of the original Ghostbusters. Drop the page. Okay. So Egon, Spengler, Egon Spengler was brought back for the movie, despite his performer Harold Ramis passing away in 2014. Um, so uh, the Egon scene in quick and obscured glimpses during the opening scene was played by actor Bob Gunton. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that is? No. So he was the police chief in Demolition Man. What do you think you're scratching, Kate? Right, Man? right, right, right. Okay. And he was also the uh, the warden in uh, in Shawshank Redemption. Right. Um, so I it, nothing um, you know particularly uh, interesting about that. Just I I didn't know if it was a stuntman or or what, but it is actually an actor that I've heard of. Wasn't uh, some of it also um, one of the Reitmans? Um, I don't. I, know. I read online that uh, some of uh, some of those body double shots are. Hmm. It's either Ivan or Jason. Maybe. I think it's Ivan. Might be. 
Um, okay, so um, the, you're going to talk about the uh, the visual effects. Yes, don't um, touch it. Yeah, I'm not going to touch it. Um, but uh, special permission was obtained from Ramus's children to create the effect at the end, where he mm-hmm. appears as a uh, as basically as a, a force ghost. Yeah, um, they commented that the finished scene was so satisfying. They could have done him as this jolly Santa type, but that wouldn't have been true to the character. He was in great shape, nice and trim. My dad would have loved that. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Harold Ramis was a bit heavy towards the end of his yes, life. Yes, he was. Um, I, I really, I, I've been reading about this quite a lot, the reviews and, and people discussing it online, that people thought that maybe it was in poor taste. Um, having watched it, I thought that, first of all, it was beautifully rendered. Yeah. Um, and it, I, it didn't look like CGI at all. It was maybe one shot. One. One it's a lip curl right there you go it's the thing where his eyebrow moves up yeah, and yeah. his okay well yeah um pen. no 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 it's okay you're, you're gonna touch on this again put a pin in it put a pin in it. um Jimmy. yeah so uh i i thought that it was it was really sensitively handled and uh, he doesn't speak you know he doesn't say anything and i and i think that um having that sort of seal of approval from his children is yeah. uh you know uh, way more successful than any of the uh the sort of star wars reanimated uh actors yeah um i i I just wanted to say that i uh, that i appreciated that a lot and i even teared up a little bit so did i yep i got i got all the feels from this movie seriously yeah um there's a little bit more here that uh that's a little bit more to do with the uh the the um pre-production of the movie uh in the early 1990s following the release of ghostbusters 2 dan Aykroyd wrote a script for a third film tentatively titled ghostbusters 3 hellbent the concept had the characters transported to an alternate universe version of Manhattan called Manhelton, where the people and places are hellish versions of Earth, with the Ghostbusters meeting and confronting the devil. At the time, Aykroyd stated that the studio was interested that the principal actors, uh, especially Bill Murray, were not. Uh, it featured a younger group of Ghostbusters while Ray Egon Winston uh, struggled to keep the business going upon Peter's relationship becoming serious with Dana. Um, part of this concept was used in the video game. It was. That's the ultimate uh, dim- uh, alternate dimension that they fight right. uh, Shandor in. Which Aykroyd would go on to claim was essentially the third movie. Uh, at one point, the new Ghostbusters team was rumored to be played by Chris Farley, Chris Rock, and Ben Stiller. Um, honestly, I, I kind of would have liked to have seen that, if only to see Egon actually you in, know, a movie. in a movie, uh, alive again. Um, so basically, what, what I'm hearing here, there's, there's more to this stuff. Um, because there are so many different uh, iter- iterations, 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 iterations <laughs> um, of uh, you know of, of proposed and lost Ghostbusters movies uh, that never got made. But the uh, the main wrench in the works was uh, was Bill Murray, and uh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, but uh, but the fact that he read this script and thought it was brilliant um, is uh, is a testament to how good the script by uh, Jason Reitman and Gil Keenan really is. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they had a, a concept by the writers of The Office, which apparently was very good. Um, Dan Aykroyd has been battling to make to make a movie like this for yeah. for years. In the end, in the end, he he made the game, and that was considered to be the canonical Ghostbusters three. Right, um, indeed. Even though you don't get to play as any of the actual Ghostbusters, yep. okay. which I suppose is fine. So that is me and trivia, trivia corner. corner. Shall we uh, do, 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 up the stairs? Yeah, I wanted to see what happened to my... Uh... Toyota. Okay, there is a tagline game here, but it's not really very good. Okay, uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's go and visit uh, VFX Attic. Join me in the VFX Attic 
Where else can you see VFX in an attic other than VFX attic? That was um, fairly anticlimactic. Going backwards. <laughs> okay, so um, I assume that uh, this uh, banister has been painted so as not to give me uh, uh, tetanus or something. No. So, so what's with the paint? You're gonna die. It's not oh. paint. It's acid. Don't touch it. Right. Oh, oh Jesus. <clears throat> so about Egon. Um, Egon. Uh, so I think it was really important that he didn't speak at any point. Um, I think that when we do see Egon as a ghost, uh, that's that's where I started tearing up. Uh, I felt the lump in my throat as soon as um, his hand is supporting her neutrino wand. Neutrino wand. Um, and uh, I think that part of the illusion that was broken for me with Grand Moff Tarkin in uh, Rogue One is any time he moves his face. Right. Because the human face, and this is one of the, the, the most difficult things about trying to render out a CG human who is based off of a real person that you have actual footage for, so i.e. not Thanos, who is a stylized human, however realistic. And we'll talk about Thanos in a second, but um, Grand Moff Tarkin and, and a lot of other recreations of characters, and we're looking at Carrie Fisher's uh, young oh, counterpart God, at the awful. end of Rogue One. It's not very good. Why? Because as simple as people might think it is, your face has so many moving parts. And we're not just talking about muscles and, um, you know, pores and things like that, but pore stretching, okay? Your pores stretch as your skin stretches over your muscles. Uh, your skin stretches. Your mouth is able to move in ways that, you know, it. you can, you can spot the A-I-O-U shapes, but they make so many more shapes, um... You know, when uh, when you're talking that having a CG double try to move their lips is often quite difficult to do in a realistic way. Top so, lip is always very uh, top lip, yeah, very telling. Well, I mean, yeah, a lot of them move the top lip, and and we don't we our bottom jaw opens and shuts, you know, like a like a puppet, you know, it's like <laughs> so. Um, I think that the effect uh, the effect was great. Um, it the reason that Thanos works so much is because he's um, he's stylized and his pores do stretch and he does have skin stretching over muscles and that's what's so um impressive about it what i think what was done here and because it's still early days and the information is very sort of scarce about how this was done um so obviously it was a body double and a cg head replacement i'm not sure if any advanced deep fake tech was used for this um but i think that some of it was i know that they used a lot of, a lot of archival footage of him to um, sort of recreate his facial expressions. But not um, only that, they had to age him as well. They had to age him. Um, and they had to age him as Egon would age, not as uh, right. Harold Ramis so aged. So you've got the, uh, the high hair. Exactly. And the, um, yeah, it's... It's, it's yeah. so well done. And the CG and the compositing is so well done. I had trouble seeing the seams. I saw it in a couple of yeah. shots, ma- mainly the, the eyebrow raise. Uh, also, he kind of... He does like this um, when he... When, uh, you know, Phoebe looks up at him when she realizes that he's supporting her neutrino wand and helping with, with battling Goza. Um, it, it, he kind of looks at her and, and gives her a little, you know, half smile, right. eyebrows raised, again, um, certain wrinklings of the skin. But it helps that he's see-through and he's a ghost and therefore, you know, yeah. the effect is kind of um, blurred a little bit. Well, I was I, not taken out of the movie for a second. Me, I, I actually, I said, like, how did they manage to get footage of him 
looking like that, you know, doing that stuff. Like I was, I was, I was really convinced. I, I was um, convinced as well. I mean, I thought we knew it was CG. That they we resurrected Harold Ramis and uh, and shot him in the uh, in the movie. I wouldn't go that far, but no, I was but like, <laughs> I was, it was, I was it very. Was, it I was, was the, one of the most convincing yeah. um, recreations of a dead actor that I've ever yeah. seen, and I think I th- I think. I think that the key to it was that he doesn't speak. Of course, it's yeah. only facial expressions, and they're so good. And he sees his daughter, and she oh, hugs and when him. she hugs him. Like I was, I was like, "You don't, don't blub, don't blub." I blubbed, I blubbed. I was blubbing. I had to wipe away a tear. No, that was gorgeous. That was gorgeous, and him like turning into stars, into dust, before star Harold. dust, and he goes into the afterlife. Hence, Ghostbusters afterlife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. good, amazing, very well done. Um, now let's talk ghost design for a second. Mm-hmm. Now that's what. I'm talking about, uh-huh. okay? Uh, it's got the same visual style that they brought old ghosts in. They brought new ones to the table. Um, they look right at home in the Ghostbusters universe, but they are updated. Okay, Muncher is CG. Muncher being reminiscent of Slimer, but with his own unique tone, movement style. He's got extra legs. He's kind of, I like the know, fact that he's threatening as well, because he, he eats he the shoots, metal and he shoots it out of his yeah. mouth. Yeah. And and uh, I I really love how when he's flying towards the car, the Ecto One, and you know Finn just has this open mouth scream <laughs> when he sees he's yeah. shooting bullets at him. He's like, ah, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but he's got his own like style and 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 he's also instrumental in the end. He's not just a mascot. He's not right. just a pet, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, there no, was but a he's, ghost. He's used against his will. Yeah. Um, and I thought that it was very clever the way that they used him. Yeah. And and the ghost in the diner uh, that was animatronic, which was a, a really I really appreciated touch. that, that they did yeah. some practical uh, ghosts, like the um, Goza as well. Goza? Not Goza. Um, the the Terror Dog. Dogs. We'll, Terror we'll dogs, talk yeah. about that in a second. But the, uh, the range of movement is lessened in animatronics than in CG. But sometimes I feel that because you have so much range of movement, things can look a little floaty in CG. So, yeah. you know, like the, the fact that you're talking about zombies and dead people and, and ghosts, um, the fact that some of them are animatronic, it, it's, it's rooted in the world because you get the real world lighting on them. Right. Uh, if, it's, um, if it's supposed to be wet, then they can just spray it with water and make it look yeah. wet. And, you know, it's, it's, you can get these really beautiful reflections. And listen, with CG... You have to match it in compositing, and we'll talk about compositing in a little bit in another section here that I've got here. Um, but, but also, um, like the um, the the practical effects, like the terror dogs, for example, yeah. and the uh, and, and the skeleton in the diner. I like that jerky movement. Yeah. If they're going for nostalgia, that's the way. To that's do the it. way to do it. Like yeah. you're you're bringing back, like you know, if they would have done some Ray Harryhausen uh, style. Who's Ray Harryhausen? Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> Who's Ray Harryhausen? Sorry. Um, <laughs> If they were going to do some Harryhausen style stop motion, <laughs> go on. Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know that, that, it brings back warm fuzzies. Yeah. Well, the Hellhounds. This is the Terror Dogs. Is yeah. what I wanted to say is that they're a beautiful mix of CG and animatronics, and I'm I'm going to touch on this in a second. But you can really see how range of movement and facial articulation has come forward since the '80s in animatronics. And you know what I was thinking last night. What a time to be alive, right? <laughs> Seriously, when two of these disciplines come together, and we've talked about this in previous podcast episodes about animatronics and CG and how, you know, the CG is sometimes overdone and, and you know, it's, and it's brought together. It's so done. It's so well done. It hit me right in the nostalgicals, which is uh, nostalgia testicles. Um, the thing that didn't work for me in the movie, VFX-wise, was yeah. the Stay Puffs. VFX and story-wise. I didn't feel like they were necessary. They weren't. I can't tell if it was the annoying kids behind us or just how cartoony and disconnected it was from the rest of the film. This was a miss for me. 
Like, yeah. it was wonderful in concept as perhaps maybe a Ghostbusters internet short with, uh, you know, Paul Rudd going to get, you know, um, some, some, you know, ice cream, whatever. Um, but it hardly serves any purpose in the film other than gratuitous fan service as uh, kind of as a foil for Trevor later on where the Stay Puffs are futzing with his equipment. Yeah. But like, again, it could have been a demon dog flanking them from behind because there's two of them and they, they didn't see it coming and it, it sort of slashes at his, uh, Clever girls. his proton pack, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a miss for me, but it's it's not like I would take it out of the movie or anything. I, I um, <laughs> the the proton streams, the streams and tech are all back as we remember them. It's yeah. just used in different ways, in clever ways. They managed to maintain the visual feel of the proton streams while uh, updating it using today's technology, uh, and it kind of gave it a nostalgic and modern modern feel at the same time. And this is what Answer the Call should have done. I, I love that we also got to see more of the inner workings of the proton packs as well, seeing it opened up and how it turns on. You see it up, like lots of satisfying button presses and switch flicking. It was brilliant. Now, I have a little surprise for you for today's episode with VFX Attic. Um, I have a friend uh, who studied with me in uh, college who worked on this movie. Uh, in the VFX. Uh, Her name is Michal uh, Bental. And I, you know, I haven't spoken to her for about 10 years, almost nine years since we ended school. Hold on, she's she's Israeli? Uh, She's Israeli and she's moved to Canada. A lot of the... um... Okay. No, because because we were watching the the end crawl and uh, 90% of them... Indian. Her it name was like in it there. It was outsourced. It's in. It's under the uh, the two D artists. Uh-huh. She was a compositor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what did she compose? Wait. Okay. I'm, I did an interview with her, <gasps> which no. I didn't. I couldn't record because two different time zones and our schedules weren't synced up. So I sent her questions, and she sent me written answers in English. Oh my god! And I'm going to read the questions and the answers now. Um, and I th- I thought it was really interesting. It's not very long. Um, I didn't want to take up too much of her time, but she was a really great sport about it. And she was really, uh, you know, she didn't say to me, oh, you haven't spoken to me all these years. <laughs> now, you, now you're asking me for help. She was like, yeah, I'd love to talk about it. So um, this is my interview with Michal uh, Bental. Brilliant. Question one. Can you tell me a bit about your career in the last nine years and what path led you to this movie and compositing in general? Michal says, for the first part of my career, I was doing 3D generalist work, although I've always wanted to do compositing ever since I watched the VFX breakdown of MPC Studios for the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. I couldn't really find any opportunity in the Israeli industry since it was mostly TV commercials and TV series for kids, but I found some courses with two amazing Israeli compositors who worked abroad, and I kept on learning by myself. At some point, my husband, who is an animator, fun fact, he taught me animation in uh, one of my later courses in Blender. Mm. Uh, Really talented guy. Um, Bit of a stud muffin too, if I may say so. Uh, So he got an an offer to work at MPC in Montreal, so it was kind of an easy entry for me, Michal. And with some sweat and tears, I managed to build up a good reputation, got to work on some big gigs. It's a big hub here in Canada, but still acts like a small community where everyone knows everyone. People tend to move between different companies, and there's always the game of do you know so-and-so. Question two. I've explained on the podcast what compositing is, but in your own words, better than mine, what is the purpose of it in the VFX process? 
It's literally what it means to put things together in a composition. As a compositor, you get all the materials from upstream, from the onset footage to CG environments, creatures, and VFX, and your job is to make a believable image out of it all. As a compositor, you have a very important and also stressful position as you're the last stop in the pipeline before it goes back to the client. So you really have to make things look perfect. No one else will fix it for you. Uh, question three, could you describe what compositing you worked on in Ghostbusters Afterlife? Are there specific shots you're allowed to talk about? She had to ask permission to talk about this. So I'm really glad that she, <laughs> I was, she can't say a lot here. There's not a lot, but I was lucky to get some cute stay puffed shots. Uh, also some terror dog and Goza shots. Overall, the mindset was to create a look that mimics the old movies, including even the way the terror dog moves, uh, which was super cool. So meaning she had to study, well, I mean, obviously the, uh, um, you know, the, the animators did, you know, the studying of how they move, but you know, how it all looks once it's put together in the animatronics. I'm really impressed with how that looked in the end. Um, I, she says, I love how it gave, uh, respect to the old movies. There were obviously some things we knew and had to keep secret until the movie came out. Number four, can you describe working on a big production and what the workflow looks like? How is communication handled? In a general, every studio, the vendor, right, who won the bid for the movie gets a chunk of sequences to work on and then the supervisor, and the supervisors and leads are given uh, the shots and they give them to the artists on the team. So usually you get to work on 5 to 12 shots in a movie. The way we see the movie in advance is pretty odd, it's never in the right order and we don't really know how it's all going to merge together eventually. In a big production, there's hundreds of people that work hard to make it happen. If you're curious, you could always stay for the credits part of a movie and get your mind blown. A fun fact, on the first or second Ghostbusters movie, I don't think she remembers which, it was ILM work. A small part of the artists won their name in the credits, and unfortunately, the rest got their names just written as, and 200 more artists. Um, that, so, I think that would have been Ghostbusters 2, because the... Uh... It was a bigger team. It was a bigger team, and the original, um, the original studio that worked on uh, on the original Ghostbusters were not asked back again because Ivan Reitman yeah. wasn't happy with the work they did. It was ILM on the second yeah. movie, and and uh, the the fact that we've come to a point where you stay for the end credits and you can see just hundreds of people working, they write all their names. Yeah, so that's what I'm really, saying. I saw I saw way. huge amounts of Indian names that uh, um, uh, I'm I'm interested to uh, to dig a little deeper into that, like um, to see if there were outsourcing to uh, to different studios in India or if that was just one studio in India and there was just a huge amount of people in it um it, it, it the the amount of artists on this movie was astounding yeah and uh, and it doesn't look like there were a huge amount of effect shots to be honest because a lot of the movie is um talking no yeah a lot of the movie is like family drama so uh so the the amount of uh, I think that that was probably the right way to go. That the amount of effect shots that actually did end up in the movie um, were um, were quality because yeah. of the uh, amount of people working on them. Yeah, and the amount of yeah because there wasn't as much as say you know an Avengers movie, right. for example. Um, I also think it's very interesting that she talks about the vendor who won the bid for the movie. You know that the studios yeah, are it, buying for... on a smaller scale. It reminds me of uh, when I have to submit a, um, a quote. Um, and compete with different uh, yeah. studios or different filmmakers to, you know, to get to a, get a to job, get a job yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, question five: Can you speak about any challenges that were specific to this movie versus other movies you've worked on? She says, obviously, in every movie you have different challenges, as it all eventually comes down to the director's vision that you need to get as a VFX studio. Some directors, like Denis Villeneuve, 
really put their attention on the more minimalistic seamless look and others really like lens flares all over the place. <laughs> Has she worked with uh, with with uh, Dennis or JJ? I think so. Uh-huh. I, she's did really she, did good. Did she work on Dune? Uh, I don't know. I can ask or her. Or Arrival. Maybe? Um, I know that she's she's worked on a lot of movies in the end. Like she's uh, wow. She's really yeah. Um, uh, she says uh, it helps uh, a lot to do research before you start to work on a movie, even though you're only an artist. Which when I saw that, I was like, only an artist. Like you're really Maybe important. Maybe she's talking here. about in the grand scheme of things because yeah. there are so many. But yeah, but on Ghostbusters, we really tried to create some old school looks and effects, but yet with modern quality. The challenge here, I guess, is to not make it look too cheesy. I hope we did a good job, and I think you did a fantastic Success. job. Really Success. good job. Uh, question six. I'm quite curious about how animatronics and CG were combined to create a connection between the old and the new. I'm assuming compositing the different elements to make these work together was tough. Are you able to tell me about that? She says, for all our work, it was all done in CG, but as I said, the work was to try and mimic the animatronic style of movement. But in general, you can do anything and combine anything. The more it's planned better on set for the post-production process, the smoother it will be on our side. I personally would always prefer more of the work to get done on set rather than make it all in CG, as it looks more believable, but it means less to no flexibility afterwards. So it could be easier sometimes, or it could be a total nightmare, but it really depends on the situation and the production. Uh, for the old movies, I would recommend watching the episode on Ghostbusters from the movies that made us on Netflix. They talk a lot about their work there, and it's super interesting, which I agree I've seen. Question seven, and this is my last question. Uh, if I had worked on a Ghostbusters movie, one of my favorite 80s movies, I'd have crapped my pants. How did it feel personally to be involved in this? I kind of had the same feeling when I found out that my VFX supervisor on my first ever movie that I worked on was also the VFX supervisor on some of the biggest Harry Potter movies. For Ghostbusters, I'd be honest and say I was never a fan, but working on this movie made me go and watch the old ones, and I really liked them, so it came out nice and they've earned a new fan. But anyway, the most exciting part is to see the final result on the big screen. It's always worth all the blood and tears. Michal, thank you so much if you listen to this episode. That. It's really, really cool to me that you gave me uh, the time of day. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure that I would have been able to take the time and do uh, answer the questions as fully as you did. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, and that's it for me for VFX Attic. Very good. Well done. That, that was really cool. That was really cool. I uh, don't really know that many people. Um, <laughs> Well, Otherwise, I would bring. I would be like, "Hey, um, so uh, I know um, this bloke from being that thing. the underachiever that I am. <laughs> I don't do anything, but I know a lot of people who do really cool shit. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's really cool that um, you know she says, and I've said this before about VFX as well. That the more you do practically, the easier it's going to come out. Like looking, the the better it'll come out looking in the end. Like it'll be more." believable you know i was saying i think in the last episode or i remember in one of the last couple of episodes when you have practical elements mixed with your cg like superman flying up into the sky and having a gust of wind blow dust away from where he's taken off from um you know you can do that with dust effects uh in cg but it will always look better if you have like a wind blower right you know like or a leaf blower a wind blower what is that a leaf blower blowing (laughs) wind at the uh um at the ground uh, I think it's just uh, really cool. Um, time for another uh, sponsor. Okay, go for it. 
What's our seat number is sponsored by blah blah blah, the object of many a human's desire. Is the wife not talking to you because of nostrils? Are you lonely because your face has fallen off? Well, keep yourself company with blah blah blah, the one product that will keep you company when no one else will. Worries about your terrible disfigurement be gone! Press the button on the side and blah 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 will say random things to you that will make you feel like a real person and not a pile of shit. Things such as, do you want more sawdust to rub on your gums? I have a whole matchbox full. And many many more real person sayings. Saving, saving, savings with blah blah blah. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so I think we should wrap up this episode because yeah, I, so it's gone this, on for episode? A while. this episode, this episode, this um, episode. Yeah, I think that's the reason why we should wrap up this episode. <laughs> well, this has been going on for a while, but I'm I'm very happy that um, we've been talking um, for a couple of hours without, um, you know, cracking up, losing it, or, or moaning for three hours like we did with No Time to Die. Um, I'm when very it's happy. Warranted. When it's warranted, yeah. yeah. No, I'm very happy that uh, that we went to see this movie and I didn't come out feeling like shit afterwards. Yeah, me too. Um, because, as I said, it's not something that I'm asking for. I don't necessarily want these movies, but if they are, if Good. they're going to be done, they should be done well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I really got a kick out of um, the new characters and seeing the old characters come back again, and uh, and obviously Egon. Um, I, I thought it was it was a really nice sort of family movie, family in terms of the you know the family of filmmakers and uh, and the literal family of Ivan Reitman and Jason Reitman who uh, who made the movie, um, and uh, and I th- I just thought it was like a, a love letter to the uh, to the past as opposed to a cash in, um, and I really appreciated that. So um, let's talk about uh, what we're going to do next week. What would you like to do? I'd like to watch a movie. Yes. That you don't like, but that I like. Uh huh. And I was thinking, as it's come up a couple of times, Van Helsing. You're thinking Van Helsing? Yeah. What do you want to do next week? Um. Well, we can do we can do Van Helsing. We could we could also do Wild Wild West <laughs> because I think the same result will come. Yeah, from but that. The, no. The thing is, is that I actually like Van Helsing and Wild Wild West. I feel guilty about not like about liking. I see. Okay, so um, <laughs> I'll still try and defend it if I need so, to. Right? So Van Helsing next week, and uh, I am putting that movie on trial. Yes, this is a new thing. Jonathan, would you like to explain, or you'll explain it next week? Um, let's explain it next week. Let's give them a little, give, make give them sweat. Hooked, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for listening. And, thank you uh, so much. We have been Johnny and Simon Gross. This has been What's Our Seat Number, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. What's our seat number? 